Then she filled a plastic cup halfway with water and took her pills. It was 1.45. There was a rocker in the sitting room by the front window. Sophie eased herself into it. In a half hour, the children would be passing by on their way home from school. Sophie waited, rocking and watching the snow. The boys came first, as always, running and calling out things Sophie couldn't hear. Today they were making snowballs as they went, throwing them at one another. One snowball missed and smacked hard into Sophie's window. She jerked backward, and the rocker slipped off the edge of her oval rag rug. The girls dilly-dallied after the boys in twos and threes, cupping their mittened hands over their mouth and giggling. Sophie wondered if they were telling each other about the valentines they'd received at school. One pretty girl with long brown hair stopped and pointed to the window where Sophie sat watching. Sophie slipped her face behind the drapes, suddenly self-conscious. When she looked out again, the boys and girls were gone. It was cold by the window, but she stayed there watching the snow cover the children's footprints. A florist truck turned onto Ellen Street. Sophie followed it with her eyes. It was moving slowly. Twice it stopped and started again. Then the driver pulled up in front of Mrs. Mason's house next door and parked. Who would be sending Mrs. Mason flowers, Sophie wondered. Her daughter in Wisconsin? Or her brother? No, her brother was very ill. It was probably her daughter. How nice of her. Flowers made Sophie think of Joe. And for a moment she let the aching memory fill her. Tomorrow was the 15th. Eight months since his death. The flower man was knocking at Mrs. Mason's front door. He carried a long white and green box and a clipboard. No one seemed to be answering. Of course, it was Friday. Mrs. Mason quilted at the church on Friday afternoons. The delivery man looked around, then started towards Sophie's house. Sophie shoved herself out of the rocker and stood close to the drapes. The man knocked. Her hands trembled as she straightened her hair. She reached her front hall on his third knock. Yes, she said, peering around a slightly open door. Good afternoon, ma'am, the man said loudly. Would you take a delivery for your neighbor? Yes, Sophie answered, pulling the door wide open. Where would you like me to put them, the man asked politely as he strode in. In the kitchen, please, on the table. The man looked big to Sophie. She could hardly see his face between his green cap and full beard. Sophie was glad he left quickly, and she locked the door after him. The box was as long as the kitchen table. Sophie drew near to it and bent over to read the lettering. Natalie's flowers for every occasion. The rich smell of roses engulfed her. She closed her eyes and took slower breaths, imagining yellow roses. Joe had always chosen yellow. To my sunshine, he would say, presenting the extravagant bouquet. He would laugh delightedly, kiss her on the forehead, then take her hands in his and sing to her, You are my sunshine. It was five o'clock when Mrs. Mason knocked at Sophie's front door. Sophie was still at the kitchen table. The flower box was now open, though, and she held the roses on her lap, swaying slightly and stroking the delicate yellow petals. Mrs. Mason knocked again, but Sophie didn't hear her, and after several minutes, the neighbor left.
Sophie rose a little while later, laying the flowers on the kitchen table. Her cheeks were flushed. She dragged a step stool across the kitchen floor and lifted a white porcelain vase from the top corner cabinet. Using a drinking glass, she filled the vase with water, then tenderly arranged the roses and greens and carried them into the sitting room. She was smiling as she reached the middle of the room. She turned slightly and began to dip and twirl in small, slow circles. She stepped lightly, gracefully around the sitting room, into the kitchen, down the hall, back again. She danced till her knees grew weak, and then she dropped into the armchair and slept. At a quarter past six, Sophie awoke with a start. Someone was knocking on the back door this time. It was Mrs. Mason. Hello, Sophie, Mrs. Mason said. How are you? I knocked at five and was a little worried when you didn't come. Were you napping? She chattered as she wiped her snowy boots in the welcome mat and stepped inside. I just hate the snow, don't you? The radio says we might have six inches by midnight, but you can never trust them, you know. Do you remember last winter when they predicted four inches and we had twenty-one? Twenty-one! And they said we'd have a mild winter this year. Ha! Huh. I don't think it's been over zero in weeks. Do you know my oil bill was $263 last month for my little house? Sophie was only half listening. She had remembered the roses suddenly and was turning hot with shame. The empty flower box was behind her in the kitchen table. What would she say to Mrs. Mason? I don't know how much longer I can keep paying the bills. Oh, if only Alfred, God bless him, had been as careful with money as your Joseph. Joseph! Oh, good heavens, I almost forgot about the roses. Sophie's cheeks burned. She began to stammer an apology, stepping aside to reveal the empty box. Oh, good, Mrs. Mason interrupted. You put the roses in water. Well, then you saw the card. I hope it didn't startle you to see Joseph's handwriting. Joseph had asked me to bring you the roses the first year, so I could explain for him. He didn't want to alarm you. His rose trust, I think he called it. He arranged it with the florist last April. Such a good man, your Joseph. But Sophie had stopped listening. Her heart was pounding as she picked up the small white envelope she had missed earlier. It had been lying beside the flower box all the time. With trembling hands, she removed the card. To my sunshine, it said, I love you with all my heart. Try to be happy when you think of me. Love, Joe. Someone to Watch Over Me by Sharon Waja The passengers on the bus watched sympathetically as the attractive young woman with the white cane made her way carefully up the steps. She paid the driver and, using her hands to feel the location of the seats, walked down the aisle and found the seat he'd told her was empty. Then she settled in, placed her briefcase on her lap, and rested her cane against her leg. It had been a year since Susan, 34, became blind. Due to a medical misdiagnosis, she had been rendered sightless, and she was suddenly thrown into a world of darkness, anger, frustration, and self-pity. Once a fiercely independent woman, Susan now felt condemned by this terrible twist of fate to become a powerless, helpless burden on everyone around her. How could this have happened to me, she would plead, her heart nodded with anger. But no matter how much she cried or ranted or prayed, she knew the painful truth. Her sight was never going to return. 
A cloud of depression hung over Susan's once optimistic spirit. Just getting through each day was an exercise in frustration and exhaustion. And all she had to cling to was her husband, Mark. Mark was an Air Force officer, and he loved Susan with all of his heart. When she first lost her sight, he watched her sink into despair and was determined to help his wife gain the strength and confidence she needed to become independent again. Mark's military background had trained him well to deal with sensitive situations, and yet he knew this was the most difficult battle he would ever face. Finally, Susan felt ready to return to her job, but how would she get there? She used to take the bus, but was now too frightened to get around the city by herself. Mark volunteered to drive her to work each day, even though they worked at opposite ends of the city. At first, this comforted Susan and fulfilled Mark's need to protect his sightless wife, who was so insecure about performing the slightest task. Soon, however, Mark realized that this arrangement wasn't working. It was hectic and costly. Susan is going to have to start taking the bus again, he admitted to himself. But just the thought of mentioning it to her made him cringe. She was still so fragile, so angry. How would she react? Just as Mark predicted, Susan was horrified at the idea of taking the bus again. I'm blind, she responded bitterly. How am I supposed to know where I'm going? I feel like you're abandoning me. Mark's heart broke to hear those words, but he knew what had to be done. He promised Susan that each morning and evening he would ride the bus with her, for as long as it took, until she got the hang of it. And that is exactly what happened. For two solid weeks, Mark, military uniform and all, accompanied Susan to and from work each day. He taught her how to rely on her other senses, specifically her hearing, to determine where she was and how to adapt to her new environment. He helped her befriend the bus drivers who could watch out for her and save her a seat. He made her laugh, even on those not so